8.02 on a Tuesday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience a Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program is now underway. Drance is going to join us in just a second here. Hour three of this program. There's that Jacob Truba hit again on Kadri on the TVs in here. Oh, my God. His, it, you know what it was that sold it? It was the helmet pop. Yeah. His helmet went about 10 feet in the air. And God bless Dylan Dubé for jumping in. Dylan Dubé was in a – that's what we like to call a spot yesterday. Mm-hmm. So when when the second hit happened, Truba on Kadri, Dubé was on the ice. Dubé was the first guy to get hit by Truba. And then that drifter came in and, yeah. and saved him. The hobo, the hobo put down his rucksack. He's like, we're fighting. He's a hungry young fighter. He's fighting for I a Listen sandwich. to the Flames radio call of that, and the entire time the announcer's just going – this isn't a good idea for Dubé. Yeah. He just finished getting injured, the reason and now he, he's fighting Truba. <laughs> but he was in a spot because yeah. Tanev had stuck up for him, mm-hmm. and now someone had to step up for Kadri. Right. And Dubé looked around, and he was like, Christ, <laughs> it's me. Dubé so should have been went, like, change him up. Yeah. He's like, we... <laughs> he's doing the finger gestures. Roll him. He's like, ready to go. So anyway, uh, that, was, that was an awesome game last night. But it, two awesome games, really, because I thought – Entertainment value-wise, the Canucks and the Devils uh, was a pretty good game. Joining us now to break that down, as mentioned, uh, Sportsnet 650's very own, the Athletics' very own, Thomas Drancer on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Drancer? It was a fun game. Yes, it was. It was awesome. It was, uh, it was much needed, to be totally honest with you, gentlemen. You know, I was sort of putting it on and being like, okay, here we go again. 33 more. Let's do it. And then pretty quickly... Uh, the Canucks, first of all, started really well. And uh, look, the speed of the Devils is really something to watch. And the Canucks, for the most part, matched their pace, even though the Devils created a lot off the rush, especially in the first 30 minutes of the game, I thought. Um, yeah, no, really entertaining. And uh, and a really good performance from uh, from the Canucks. Like, I even liked how they adjusted mid-game. They stopped getting punished on just, like, high flips past their defense as the game went yeah. along. and. I thought that third period was one of the best 20 minutes they've strung together all season. Do they look any different to you structurally under Rick Tockett? It's too early. Not, not, not really. I think where they look a little different is, uh, is how they're lining up, right? And, you know, one thing that I think I sort of took away a little bit from last night, and maybe this is a little much, but, you know, I, I thought a lot about you know, Pod Colson's game and how assertive he was as a puck carrier, how much space he was able to create. Uh, Dakota Joshua, I thought, had a pretty strong game, especially when it came to, um, you know, his play along the wall and, and especially his play along the wall, like high in the defensive zone, um, just making sure to win those battles and clear the puck. And the Devils, you know, their, their forecheck played regularly l- last night. Like there were a lot of moments where the Canucks, maybe they didn't, completely flubbed the pass but the devils interfered with it enough that they were able to retain possession just inside the blue line i thought joshua sort of stood out as a guy who every time he got it it was getting out and that did sort of make me wonder if you can understand why timo meyer to the devils has so much steam (laughs) in the rumor mill right Mm -hmm. like an extra heavy body on the wall uh certainly would seem to be what the doctor ordered for that devils team particularly in a world where you know, Joshua and Pod Colson look like that against them. Were a couple of the goals the Canucks surrendered um, during that three-goal collapse 
pretty much great evidence for why this blue line needs to be made over um, with better puck movers? Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, I think so. Uh, like, I don't, I don't think that's a hot take. Um, I also thought the Heischer line just dominated, right? I mean, a lot of that game, especially in the first 40 minutes for me, felt like a matter of time. Like, it wasn't until the third period where, uh, I, I, you know, the Canucks really felt felt like they were containing the Devils, like they had a, a really solid plan to limit, you know, what, what the Devils generated against the Russian. I, I don't know what happened there. Maybe the Devils stopped looking for the home run pass. Maybe it was them getting undisciplined. Maybe the Canucks saw something and made the adjustment, in which case, you know, tip of the cap to, to talk it and his staff. But, um but, you know, the first 40 minutes, it, it felt like the dam was going to break at some point. Um, you know, even when Vancouver was building the early lead, like the Devils were generating these sort of looks against the grain where it was just like, uh, you know, a centimeter away from being three consecutive passes and a, and a glorious scoring chance. And it, it just wasn't quite working for them. Finally, it obviously did with the Jack Hughes one. Um, I just felt like he sure Pilat, Brat overwhelmed the Canucks and when they finally got two goals in what 13 seconds Mm -hmm. it was sort of very much them being rewarded for an edge in the run of play that they'd sort of built all all game you know like at some point something like that was going to happen in fact at some point something like that was going to happen twice it's just that it happened right away back to back and and that sort of changed the way you felt about it. Drancer, how do you think this Brock Besser situation is going to play out? Is he more likely to move at the trade deadline or in the offseason? Well, I, look, it's it's so hard to move money. I mean, you think about Bo Horvat being the scorer in the NHL, and that trade ends up being cap neutral <laughs> this season because the Canucks retain and take back Beauvillier. Um, you know, I, I think I'm pretty sure if you look through the trades that we've seen in the NHL this season – the Canucks have been involved in the three biggest in terms of like dollars moving this year. Um, you know, Dickinson, Stillman, uh, Bear, and then Horvat with Beauvillier coming back and, and all the other futures Vancouver got. Um, you know, the net sort of like cap space changing hands in those deals is like 1.4 million, <laughs> uh, 1.8 million and zero, right? It's just like, it's to this point, the market has been so gummed up that it's hard to see them finding a way to move 6.66 million. And and I'm saying that about the team that pretty clearly has been better at moving money in this environment than anyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you, one thing you'd, you'd have to say is for as, um, you know, and, and I guess the Horvat trade changes it a bit, but it's not like the Canucks have been like, um, you know, coming in uh, swashbuckling and, and making a ton of trades, right? Like this hasn't been a, a retro Jim Rutherford trader Jim season, and yet relative to the rest of the league, it kind of has. It, so in that environment, it's it's hard to imagine that they'll be able to move six point six six here in season before the deadline. Although you know, one thing that does give them a better chance is the ability to put McKayev and Pearson on. Um, LTI, uh, especially if they're willing to take back some money, uh, some non-expiring money in the deal, 
Um, one one assumes that would give them a shot at it. Uh, right. So I'm not saying no, but would I be fading it? Like, yeah, I'd probably be handicapping it at something like, you know, minus 130, no trade, plus 150 trade, right? Like, I, I think it's narrowly more likely that um, it's just too hard to move 6.66 in season this year. Drancer, I want to put you, you to put your team PR hat on right now. Um, if you were running PR for the Canucks, would you try and address this Jim Rutherford speculation that's been kicked off by Steve Simmons, who wrote on Sunday that more than one hockey person he ran into this weekend in Florida at the All-Star game believes Jim Rutherford wants out as president of the Vancouver Canucks? Yeah, I mean, would you say that it was kicked off by Steve Simmons, or would you say that it was kicked off by Seth Rohrbaugh's column when the Canucks visited Pittsburgh, what, three, four weeks ago now? Right. Yeah, that might have been the original. You know, well, I, And also the, you know, struggles of the hockey team. Right. And um, so, so yeah, I, I think so. I think you want to, like, you know, my, my view of it is there are, like, there are punches you can't take. You know, there like, there's a glass jaw stories that meaningfully hurt you and i generally think the, the problem with those stories is that everyone remembers the first version and you can sort of push back but for the most part like only the most hardcore people following your team will will even learn about the pushback right like everyone just remembers sure. the first impression that they had so it's it's kind of tough you're kind of damned if you do anyway but I do think when it's when it comes to like the key sort of things that you want to be able to have credibility with, right? Which is, you know, for me anyway, if I'm if I'm analyzing the Canucks on that, it's like ownership will keep the team in your location, right? Like teams not relocating is like number one, right? Um, hockey operations leadership has a plan that you can trust is number two. And, you know, they're committed to it. Like, so, I mean, to me, it's like that high level of, you know, a, a sort of a reputational factor. And as such, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, I think that's probably worth, you know, not Streisand effect addressing. Like, I don't think you want to leave, um, I don't think you want like a, a bunch of Rutherford quotes being like, I'll be here forever. Right. Like right. <laughs> I'm coming to you from my boat to live forever. Yeah. And I'm going to, you know, but, but I think, I think making sure that making sure that an insider, um, you know, reports like, Hey, this isn't being considered. And blah, 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 blah. right. Like I think something like that does make sense to, to plant uh, for the team, given just sort of the importance of Rutherford's role. The fact that, the club has invested so much of this uh, relaunch, um, you know, like so they've tied so much of it to his experience and his record and his reputation. And I don't know that there's anyone else in the hockey operations department who has the sort of tenure, longevity, brand, um, you know, awareness to replace that, right? Like, the, I mean, doesn't the Rutherford experiment kind of fall apart without him? Like it kind of feels that way, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's he's yeah. handpicked his front office, and there is a lack of experience there without him. A critical one, right? Like, so 
yeah, I mean, I, I, to me anyway, yeah, I think that's something something you want you'd want to get out there for at least the hardcores to feel confident about at the very least. Yeah, I think that's something you'd probably try and subtly address uh, at least. That's that would be my view of it. We're speaking to Thomas Drance from the Athletic, and of course Sportsnet six hundred and fifty. Drancer, speaking of reporting and insiders and sourcing, I got something for you. Emily Kaplan of ESPN has just put up a piece uh, live on the site where she gets into a bunch of trade deadline rumblings. I'm just going to read verbatim from her column. There has been a lot of speculation about Canucks goalie Thatcher Demko ahead of the trade deadline. Per sources, at least four, count them, four teams have called Vancouver asking about Demko's availability, and the Canucks haven't said no to any of those teams. Thoughts? Well, I haven't said yes. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Clearly, uh, clearly Kaplan's reporting suggests and matches with what you know, I think Elliot Friedman and, and Rick Dollywall have been implying here, which is that, you know, the, the Canucks certainly aren't hanging up that phone, right? That this is more complicated than certainly it would have seemed a year ago when Demko was performing at an outrageous level. Um, you know, for me, more than anything, the Demko thing, like the logic of this team limping into the playoffs Next year, but I mean, it was like it was the same logic going into this year too. Is well, they have an elite goaltender. I mean, you think about Rutherford's commentary when he first showed up. We have a franchise goalie, and besides that, you know, like he, it took a while for Elias Pettersson to get the sort of praise that now we we hear from regularly around the club, right? Um, so. Demko was kind of on an island in terms of how central to this club's plans he appeared 18 months ago. So to be here now is is pretty amazing. And I, I mean, more than anything, the thing I'm looking for on on Demko is I just think it's a massive tell. Like I think if Demko goes, that's as you know thorough an admission as you're ever going to get from this organization that the route back to contention might be longer than you know, this hockey operations group had originally planned for when they came in. It's just a really interesting dynamic because, I mean, I've seen lots of pushback, visceral, that suggesting that this is just another, you know, media creation and no one's ever had a sense of what's going on inside that room and they never will. And all you insiders and media folks didn't get any of these other stories. So why do you think you got something here? Uh, it's an interesting dynamic, and this one in particular with Demko, definitely. <laughs> what, like, what's the what's what's ever been the rumbling that then didn't more or less come to pass? I don't know. I mean, I look. I understand. I I understand how the quote unquote the game is played media wise. I also understand why there's a lot of fans that just get frustrated with the endless speculation because they assume that our end goal is to drive everyone out of town. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're if, if that's if that as far as critical thinking takes you, so be it. Whatever. How like, can I we don't... pick apart this Stanley Cup winning team? Yeah, and then we go all, down this all road. Aboard, and, all yeah. aboard Drancer's shuttle to the airport. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> it's the Drance. It's the park and fly, but Drance is there with a hat on. Anyway, it was Drance the one that said uh, the team needed major surgery. Don't forget. But it's but it's also it's right. it's not it's not fair to like just ignore the fact that there's a lot of that out there, and it is what it is. Yeah. I just I appreciate. And respect its existence, if that makes sense. Anyway, um, there is this entire Demko situation. And what Bruff and I kind of kept coming back to is, look, if you're talking about tradable assets that are going to get you something in return, maybe not necessarily to the point of Bo Horvat, but 
things that you're going to trade where you're not like, we have to retain 50% of it, or we'll have to throw in a sweetener, like real bona fide assets to trade, Demko might be it. And you, if you look at it in just plain logical facts, it makes sense that teams would be calling and then the Canucks would say, okay, we're not saying no right now because everything should be on the table. We've said that countless times. Yeah. I, so, yes, in the, in the, within that school of, hey, he should be dealt because he's valuable, right? Demko would certainly qualify uh, uh, in that cupboard. And yet, like, man, would his value be diminished relative to where it was eight months ago, right? Like at the draft, uh, you know, in Montreal, for example, this past summer, like <laughs> if Demko had been available, you would have had um, teams rushing uh, in that goalie market, right? Like think about, think about the prices that teams were paying for like Cam Talbot right? <laughs> and, uh, and um, Alexander Georgiev got multiple draft picks. He's a career sub 900 goalie, right? Like in that environment, that would have been incredible. Now, I still think Demko would have huge value because the contract's attractive, right? He's now paid as like a below average starter. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, he's not that. Uh, he, he's certainly, like, I don't know if he's one of the three goalies that matter. I have this theory that basically only three goalies ever matter and everyone else is, um, you know, then there's like good goalies and, and, and on and on. But for the most part, like the last year's best goalie can be this year's goat. Well, goalies uh, matter if they're bad too. Goalies, no, but goalies matter if they're bad and yeah. they matter if they're good. Yeah. It's just that you can't reliably tell which is which season to season. Who are the three, unless, by the way? Who are the three? the three? Who are the three? Who are the three? Uh, the three Russians on the East Coast. Huh? So Sorokin, yeah. Shosturkin, Vasilevsky. Yeah. I mean, and, and honestly, like going into the season, I would have told you like the third spot's up for debate. It might be Demko. Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, any other guy. Halibut. But I mean, just look at like Demko's a perfect example where last year he was you know, a fringe Vesna candidate. Um, and frankly, I think should have been a Vesna candidate. Like I, I, he would have been one of my nominees based on his performance last season. I think he, he was, you know, not, not just Starkin who had a historic season, but probably the second best regular season goalie in the, in the league last year. And then this year, you know, he's injured. Sure. But also he was not himself at all in the first part, part of the year. And, and you sort of flip it with like Connor Hellebuck, who, you know, I, I mean, no question for me, both Demko and Hellebuck are like the 10 guys who, if you're betting on a goalie to be drag us to the playoff caliber any given season, like those two are top 10 guys that you'd place a bet on, in my view. But like Hellebuck wasn't good last year. And then this year has been tremendous, right? Like outrageous. And, and that just sort of speaks to the volatility of the position. Uh, I think it's why you're seeing teams like Colorado, like Carolina, be pretty comfortable trading these as fungible assets and for all of that you know the we've seen the prices of goaltenders just swell like we now live in a world where the average backup makes more than two million and where the average starter makes more than five and a half right i mean it's it's true um inflation in between the pipes in the nhl Trancher, one so, final. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, so he'd have value just because of that, and because he'd be viewed as a good bet. Um, we'll see. Like we'll see. Uh, to me, that one just tips the club's hands more than anything else they've done. Right? Like we haven't seen the team really make like a proactive rebuilding move. Horvat, at the end of the day, is still an expiring contract. Right? Like it's a little bit different. 
especially in a world where they also extended Kuzmenko and Miller. Trading Demko now to me would really signal, hey, we're we're gonna we're gonna need to take some time here, and and that for that reason alone, I'm not ready to um, accept that it's a probability ahead of the deadline. Transfer was the offer for Bo Horvat just too good to refuse uh, with the New York Islanders. We had just wondered if he might, you know, he's so close to unrestricted free agency. We wondered if he might just look around a little bit. Well, see, I don't think it was like, do you think if you're Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's an RFA this summer, that the Horvat contract makes you consider, or, or, or you're Dylan Larkin, do you think the Horvat contract makes you consider the market any differently than you did, a, you know, the day before it was signed? Like, I don't think so. I don't think it was a market detonating deal by any means. I mean, you know, if you go look at what we were writing in the athletic going into this season, so before Horvat went nuclear as a goal scorer, we were saying, you know, high sevens could eclipse eight. Um, you know, based on based on the hurdle Couturier comps, like that that was his wheelhouse. And then mm-hmm. he goes off and scores at a fifty goal pace and adds what maybe three hundred fifty k to the hurdle comp. Like that's a market value contract. It's you know some things just cost what they cost. Like some things are expensive in life, and they just cost what they cost. I mean, look at the Vancouver real estate market. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh wow, that's single family de- detached. That's um. It's a fair bit. Yeah, it's a single family detached in Vancouver. Like this is a face-off ace center who's 28 and is on pace for 50 goals. Like it just costs what it costs. Right. And yeah, it is prohibitive. So I, I didn't feel like the 8.5 times 8 was the sort of deal that Horvat and his camp needed to take because they weren't going to get that on the open market. They were probably going to get that on the open market. I think that was more or less assured. I, I don't even think there would have been a limited number of bidders. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think this contract was out, outside the range of what you'd expect, frankly, given Horvat's production and age and, and position and uh, the, the sort of market forces underpinning it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think this was a matter of Horvat being comfortable with the situation um, and, and him getting a deal that they viewed as fair. And and so good for him, you know, it's, but, but the sticker shock in the Vancouver market was a little bit precious. I'm going to be honest with you boys. Like <laughs> I knew you were going here. Well, no, it's just like, it, it's a market value deal. Like, I don't know. What, what do you expect? What do you, he should have taken less. Cost? He never wanted to be here. Drance. He should have taken less money. This proves it. Oh, I know. And, and the, and the, like, and the, like, this guy spent his prime years playing on a line with a $12 million Antoine Roussel <laughs> and a $12 million Sven Berchi. But when it was to get paid, you know, he didn't care about winning for not being willing to take less. It's like, come on, what are you talking about? You have to, anyway, whatever. The, uh, the Horvat thing, market value deal, where, where I'm curious to see, what I'm curious to see is, does this impact, like, are we going to live in a world on July 15th where, you know, Dylan Larkin's a $9.5 million player and Pierre-Luc Dubois matches Horvat's 85 and Trevor Zegras maybe beats nine million. And if we're living in that world on July fifteenth, what do Pat Brisson and JP Barry, who represent Elias Pettersson, think about it? That that to me is the big question here. Well, you know, if he's greedy, 
he'll want a lot of money. But if he really <laughs> wants the Canucks to have success, he'll, he'll take yeah. a below market deal. <laughs> well, the, the, that Brad Marchand quote right before the uh, All-Star break, right, about guys taking less to win. And it's like, for sure, like you can't win in the hard cap era if you can't convince guys to sign with you for below market, like period. Mm-hmm. period it's like the most vital thing yep. and in a lot of ways this market's running uphill anyway because high cost of living right um you know relatively high taxes on and on like there are there are you know things that are that put vancouver at a relative disadvantage but also you know edmonton got team-friendly deals out of ryan nugent hawkins and Evander kane and if edmonton can do it that's all the proof you ever need that it's not just about location and taxes, right? Like there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, one of which is a chance to win. And, and here's the other thing. You have to teach players that it's in their best interest to leave money on the table. Like you have to, you can't be overpaying a bunch of guys and losing a bunch. And then, you know, the, I mean, this one thing that this sort of whole episode, particularly given that the club tri- tried to get Horvat under contract, um, you know, and, and probably didn't get close to making what Horvat's camp considered a, a fair offer. Uh, but certainly they could have got this done at less than eight times 8.5 in, in the month of August. Not as much less as they'd have liked, but very, very much they could have gotten this done at a, at a more team-friendly clip um, prior to the season beginning. Um, but, but ultimately they weren't able to convince Horvat to, to take less. And, you know, that I do think pose poses some really serious questions for this organization because how do you win how do you win if you can't get guys to leave money on the table uh and how can you win if you can't get this guy like this guy who's been here for nine years and is 10th in franchise scoring and where's the c and has you know 18 million commercials and a ton of spawn con on his ig to do it right i mean that's that's a that's a big existential quandary, I think, for this club and, and how they sort of consider their options moving forward. Drancer, we got to get going. Thanks for joining us today. Talk to you later. Anytime. Bye. Cheers, boys. Bye. Uh, Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver and Sportsnet 650 here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We need more What We Learn. Send them into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We'll read them on the other side. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Breaking down the biggest trends in hockey, the Hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. 8.35 on a Tuesday. A big band Tuesday here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour three of the program. We're right in the midst of it. Show's almost over. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. A public service address for Halbro Nation. All the little Halbrodians out there. Say your prayers. Eat your vitamins. Also, Spotify's broken, so you can't download the podcast on Spotify. Hour two is up. Hour one, for some reason, isn't. Uh, But hour one is up on Google and Apple Podcasts, so if you have an iPhone or an Android, you're good to go. The complaints are coming fast and furious into not just the Dunbar Lumber text line, but our good buddy Jay Swing also Mm -hmm. just texted me, said, can you get hour one uploaded onto Spotify? I then replied, no. 
He then replied, and I quote, can you guys just start the show again from the top for me? Right. <laughs> do you want to do that from 8.30 sure. onward? Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Vancouver 602 on a Tuesday. It's Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We probably have a lot of more live listeners now because nobody's listening to the first hour. It's true. Do you want to do the hey, Kint- everybody. Do you want to do the Kintech read? We can do that. I always We do that at the start of the show. That's exciting. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, we we got to get into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Jay, I apologize. He won't let me do the thing that we wanted to do. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. Uh, do, are we going to do what we learned? Uh, we already had ours. We're done? Yeah, we're done. Okay. Dot Matrix, that bad boy. And our what we learned, by the way, we're letting, was letting uh, Drance ramble for half an hour. He and, went, and he went, he went long. long there. He went long. Uh, what we learned from Tony, Jacob Truba, is bringing back the Scott Stevens era of punishing style old-time hockey. I think the game needs more of it. Yeah. People were calling last night's Rangers-Flames game the game of the year. It's not the game of the year without all those hits. It's true. That was massive. So just to reiterate, the beauty of the Truba one was that Truba started off the game by getting rocked himself by Nazem Kadri. Mm-hmm. Good hit. Daryl Sutter brought it up in the post-game remarks. He's like, Nazem Kadri had a big hit in the first. And then it went on from there. Uh, Truba is hands down the most dangerous hitter in the NHL right now. And part of that is because there's not really anyone else in the conversation. Right. Like yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of challengers. That's kind of what we're getting at. We're like, you need a few more Trubas because I'm going to throw this out there for some listeners. The first half of the NHL season hasn't really been that compelling outside of Vancouver has been, there's yeah. been drama every week, mm-hmm. but uh, there haven't really been any big dramatic moments. Ever. That game yesterday, a lot of people say, was the game of the year. It's February 7th. They mm-hmm. played a lot of games before that. That's usually how it goes. The first half of the season is kind of sleepy, and then the intensity gets picked up. But I think the playoff races are going to be awesome. But there haven't been many trades of significance, again, not involving the Vancouver Canucks. Mm-hmm. There haven't been really any sort of big rivalry feud-type moments. And the television numbers are down. It's been a soft year, especially in the U.S. Talked about that with Gentilly on Friday. So this thing with Truba and this rivalry that kind of came out of nowhere, at least sparked last night, I'll be curious to see if there'll be more incidents of this nature as we get closer and closer to the trade deadline and then the start of the playoffs. Basketball, Phil, what we learned, Russell Wilson's personal yes-man slash QB coach is no go- no longer allowed in the Broncos building, according to Sean Payton, yeah, the new head coach. Phil asks, how is Russ going to react to this? Uh, Russ, I'm sure has lost a lot of the clout clout that he had coming into that organization. He is cloutless. I repeat, cloutless. Um, I'm sure Sean Payton, well, maybe Sean Payton is going to deal with it like this. It's like, Russ, you're going to listen to me now because you seem to run the show last year and it did not go well. And you got a little crazy, Russ, with everything. You got crazy. You, you, you know, it. All, I always bring it back to that line in, in Major League when it's like, I liked you when you were just a ball player. So what's what, did, what we're talking about here is that yesterday, Sean Payton met with the media, new mm-hmm. Denver Broncos head coach, and he was asked about Russell Wilson and if Wilson could keep his personal quarterback coach, Jake Heaps, who's he's been around for a while, right. and, and other quote-unquote support personnel. 
to work with the quarterback. So there, all- there, there's one guy that's uh, that's hired by Russell Wilson to say, "Great idea, Russ." Yeah, like I, there's a guy that puts toothpaste on his toothbrush. Like that's mm-hmm. his job, right? He's got his entourage. So Sean Payton said, uh, "I'm not too familiar with that. The whole dynamic uh, that's foreign to me." And that's not going to take place. I'm unfamiliar with it. Our staff will be here. Our players will be here. And that will be it. So kudos to Sean Payton because his timing really couldn't be better. He takes a year off from the NFL. He does some analyst work. He gets this job in Denver where he's like, Russell Wilson's stock couldn't be lower. I can pretty much – I don't have to put it up with any of his crap now. Like any of the weird Russell Wilson crap. Mm -hmm. You can just be like, no – I'll... Shut up, Russ. Yeah, exactly. And Russ will be like, eh, okay, <laughs> I'll shut up. <laughs> they were the 32nd ranked offense in the NFL. It can't get worse than that. Mm-hmm. So kudos to Sean Payton. He's got the cl- You know who's got the clout is Sean Payton. Russell Wilson lost it. Sean yep. Payton got it. And now he can pretty much call the shots. This is going to be great. Colin and Tawasin, what we learned, Besser has gone from a future can't-miss superstar about that to a player we'd give away for free. Remember how geared up this city was about Besser five years ago after his All-Star Game MVP performance? Why can't we hold on to nice things as Canucks fans? Part of the excitement about Besser is there is no one else. I mean, yeah. Hines- there was legitimate excitement, and he was a really good player, and you know, people were talking about how – people were talking about his shot, and rightly so, and his goal scoring, but part of it was also just like the Canucks didn't have much in the way of talented young players. Yeah, and through, he, he, through the he lens, provided hope. Through the lens of hindsight, yeah. I remember being really – we were writing for The Athletic back then, but when we used to do real stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not this. And then I remember writing at length about what a great, like, because he was a Calder candidate. Like, he was, it looked like he was going to be a really good goal scorer for a really long time. Yep. But now that we're older and jaded and we can look back and be like, God, we were stupid and naive. Part of that was he was it. There mm-hmm. was Brock Besser and then not much else. And then it. things happen. Yeah. Right? Injuries happen. Mm-hmm. And personal stuff happens. Life happens. And Brock Besser knows that better than anyone out there in the NHL right now. He's had to deal with a lot. And it's why when Andy brings up the idea of a fresh start somewhere else, I can actually get on board with that. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he I'm that's usually an excuse, right? Oh, he needs a fresh start somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, well maybe he's just not a very good player. Brock Besser has shown that he can play in the NHL. Yes. And then he can contribute in the NHL. Now, the question is how much of his injuries are keeping him back, um, and then and can that be solved? Yeah. Right. Elsewhere. But also, can it be I solved think, elsewhere. Look, just mentally, I know we all had the hopes, this hope that he had the tough year last year, and but he'd be able to work through the grief about his father. He'd be able to work through the the personal sadnesses that he's been through, and then he'd be able to come this year and he's just be like. I'm just like, it's great. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm, this is a resurgent Brock Besser, but we all also know that life doesn't work like that. I think that's why the word, the the word hope really can't. Yeah. We lean heavily on that. It was a narrative that we hoped would come to fruition. And the injury at training camp, the hand injury certainly didn't help. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't gotten better from there. The fact that the team has struggled has also, I'm sure, been hard on Brock Besser. And he needs a fresh start somewhere else. 
Uh, tough year for hand injuries for the organization, by the way. Yeah, no kidding. I didn't think about that. Uh, Jay and Costin. You didn't think about that. Well, like, not until you brought up the Besser <laughs> hand thing today. I'm like, tough year for hands in the room. Right? Anyone? Okay. Uh, Jay and Costin. Hashtag WWL what we learned. Sammy Blay better check his rear view mirror on February 18th because the rematch against the Flames in Calgary is going to involve just the pinch of Lucic, methinks. Me so we were talking about the Truba hit. It's terrifying to have Lucic after you. Yeah. Like, did you see the way he came across the ice? Mm-hmm. Just the look on his face. He was not happy. Is terrifying. I realize that Lucic is not the hockey player that he once was. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, this was a guy that once. Did he score 30 goals? Yeah, a couple I mean, he was times. A yeah. Very, very good. Top six. He was the preeminent him. power forward there yeah, for a while. He sure. Was. And, he's, and, he's, and he's not that anymore, but he is still just as terrifying. As ever. Uh, also, it, have when, you seen him in person, by the way? Yeah, a few times. Just big. Yeah, just a big dude. Leans into the tight shirts too. Yep. And he's yeah, he's got. He big, is just <laughs> big shoulders, big chest, big army, big dude. Yeah, big dude. I've seen him at a couple of Vancouver Giants golf tournaments. Yeah. And I'm like, he even kind of looks grumpy. Oh yeah. In just in, he's got a persona that goes beyond like the physical presence. Mm-hmm. He's got that look, right? He can really stare somebody down. Like if he ever needed to collect money, yeah, professionally, he'd be good at it. That's true. Speaking of, okay, so on is the, this is his post NHL career you're yeah. predicting, yeah. Byron. <laughs> yeah. So Sammy, Blay, I mean, I hope it doesn't come to that, but if, you know, <laughs> well, Sammy Blay is gonna have to pay the pipers. We use that analogy. Um, at what point do you go from Sammy and then graduate to Sam? As your name. I think as you age, it goes from Sammy to Sam to Samuel. Samuel? Yeah, that's the progression, right? Yeah. Because some guys stick with the same. Like Sammy Sosa. No one ever called him Sam Sosa. Samuel Sosa? Samuel Sosa, right? And Scotty Pippen. No one ever went Scott Pippen. But I feel like if if Sammy Sammy Blay has less of a chance of winning a fight than Samuel or Sam Blay. So like. you're saying as his name changes, he'll get progressively tougher. You get like dad strength out of it That's when fair. you get a real dad name. There's just a bit of advice, Sam Blay. Just a bit of advice. That's all. Uh, Scott with a what we learned. Hashtag WWL what we learned. Yarmir Yager turned 51 the other day. Scored his 1,099th career professional goal, which surpasses Gretzky's record. Uh, yeah, I saw this floating around. That It's unbelievable. I know it's the Czech extra Liga and it's, you know, a few rungs removed from the NHL, but he's also a few years and rungs removed from being the right age to play sports. Do you think he's a vampire? Maybe. He kind of has a vampire look to him. You remember, I remember when he got traded to Boston and they went on that Stanley Cup finals run Mm -hmm. and the stories that would come out. So we were working in the rink late after a game. Yager would come back out with skates, shinnies, pants mm-hmm. no shirt right and a weighted vest and would just skate around and play hockey just by himself for an hour just yeah. do stick and puck or flip things like just he just wanted to be out on the ice shirtless and he was just smiling away you could see his fangs and everything he just wanted to be out there he didn't sleep because he was a vampire yeah obviously that's mm-hmm. when he stays awake is at night and he was it was a remarkable thing to watch mm-hmm. a lot of people went missing very <laughs> very very few people. Still, please still looking. Good, actually. <laughs> Very few people and or vampires love playing hockey. That like he's fifty one. You'd think that the at some point the joy would be zapped, or his body would just be like, nope, no more. But he just loves playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody in the inbox asking if you were ever Mikey Helford. No. Will you ever be Michael? Uh, yeah. Sometimes I call him that when he's done something wrong. Michael. Michael. Oh, Michael. 
Well, don't, don't call Mike McKenna Mikey, by the way. I did made that mistake. Okay, I got to read this one. Okay, go. Uh, Bryce the Degenerate, what we learned. More disappointing news for Canucks number one prospect, Jonathan Lekaramaki. A season-ending foot injury. Oh, my God. Tough season for the kid. Mono followed by a concussion. Now his season's over. Yeah, Chris Faber has this on his Twitter. Lekaramaki has a foot injury and will miss eight weeks, according to a press release from his team in Sweden. The tough season keeps getting tougher. Faber will be with us tomorrow as well, so we could talk about that. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh, Faber talked to Lekaramaki last week. Remember when he didn't show up for his hit? Right. And then he did? Right. So the one that he did show up for. Okay, his had, makeup hit? Yeah, he had a, he had an English language conversation with Lekaramaki. So Lekar what did he Mac. say about what, what was the conversation like with Lekaramaki? Because I, I thought things were getting slightly better. Yeah, I think this is going to be, when we talk to him tomorrow, this is obviously going to be very disappointing. Because the idea was... Uh, really tough year between the mono and everything. That's the kissing disease. Uh, but. We're g- I'm getting you Levy vibes. I know, I know everyone has. Don't we- do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Why? Because it'll be like, or is this a reverse jinx? Yeah, this is what's a reverse happening. Jinx. What's happening we've, right we've now? We've already what's proved we can't right re- weaponize this. We can't <laughs> weaponize I said it out loud. I screwed it up. But yeah, okay. Cannot I, weaponize the reverse jinx. I don't. Lo- it's just hard when you get behind the eight ball of your development. Like yeah. it's not. It's not so much that. He didn't have a great World Juniors or, like, hasn't had a great season overall. It's when you start missing time of your development and you start picking up injuries that affect things. And, like, you got to – he's got – this summer has got to be for him to work, to work, 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 right? And one of the issues with Ulevi was that he dealt with so many, like, nagging injuries – and then there was, then then there was the pandemic, which probably hurt his development as well. But like, unless you can be on the ice and playing games or working or practicing or working with your skills coach or working on the things that you have to work on, mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult to develop and you know get better at hockey. You don't just like, oh, I'm older now, so I must be better at hockey. Well, no, you got to put the work in. You yeah. got to be able to put the work. I in. I get what you're saying, and I I think there's parts of me that while I don't want to acknowledge it or just quite frankly agree with you, I think the point <laughs> is. Um, there's a lot riding on all of these prospects that basically if you're a top 20 pick, there is like a using, losing a year of development is a big deal because I mean, look at the 2021 draft, right? Uh, Beneers is already like a, a Calder candidate, a viable contributing two C on a team that's in the playoff chase. Yeah. Like that's, that's a year out, two years out from his draft year. Right, the acceleration process for high-end guys is fast. It's fast. It's fast. Look at Jack Hughes last night. It didn't take an awfully long time to Jack Hughes to be a Hart Trophy candidate, mm-hmm. which is what he's a top five Hart Trophy candidate this year. Well, take take a guy like Atu Ratu, uh, who the Canucks got in the Bo Horvat trade. Imagine if he had a, a foot injury, the same as Lecker Amaki. Well, he needs to work on his skating, so yep. that's time that he cannot used to work on his skating, right? That's it it really point. does yeah. hurt your development when you have these injuries. And it hurts your confidence. And Lekker Mackey was probably just getting it back a little bit. And now this. Um, you never want to write these players off. And I'm certainly not doing that in his draft plus one year. But what I am saying is he's already up against it. Yep. Uh, Adam from Bowen. Sorry, before we move on, I just favor wanted me to mention he's uh, going one-on-one with Elise Pedersen tomorrow at 7.30, so right before our hit with him. So he'll have some stuff to share there as well. Oh, wow. nice. Okay. Favor's awake. 
He, apparently. Nice. He bought a isn't, new alarm clock. Isn't it interesting that Petey's all of a sudden doing a bunch of media? Isn't it interesting? Mm. He's getting Adam from Bowen. It's because he's going to be the captain. Is that what he meant? No. <laughs> no, I just meant he wanted a PR job. That's, I, <laughs> okay. He loves talking. <laughs> I don't know so what you guys were insinuating. So much. Weird. I love talking wow. to reporters so much. I want to share all of my 32 thoughts with you. <laughs> Adam from Bowen. What we learned, the Canucks could use Milan Lucic in the front office to convince players to sign for less. Someone said he could be Lou Lamorello's guy. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Here's our offer, and here's Milan Lucic to convince you to sign it. Bo. It's in your best interest to take this offer. <laughs> Milan over here is going to remind you how much we paid in that trade <laughs> to acquire you. <laughs> We're going to leave the room, and we'll come back and talk after that. Milan's just going to bend this steel bar in a corner yeah. while we talk. Don't, he'll even, don't pay any attention he'll to him. even help your hand move when you have to sign your name. If you want, yeah. What was the name of the heavy in The Simpsons that the superintendent had it with him? Leopold? Yeah, Leopold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Leopold. 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 <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> Lucius' new job. He's going to roll around with Super Nintendo Chalmers. <laughs> it's going to be good. You like the hometown discount? <laughs> yeah, that's it's it. pretty important to the team. You know, team, we're a team here. That means everyone's got to contribute and sacrifice. Like, why is he cracking his knuckles constantly? <laughs> why is there a car battery? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, we're up against it for time. Hey, thank you all for uh, submitting your What We Learns. I think we got to about five, which is not bad for this show. Uh, but we are very, very cognizant of time and getting out on time. And the music suggests that that time is now upon us. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Real quick, Adog, we got Faber tomorrow. Who else? Just tell me right off the top, real quick. David Amber yes. at 6.30 and Arthur Staples at 7. That's right. Okay, so we got a big show ahead. Arthur Staple, Rangers, Islanders, Horvat, lots of stuff to talk about tomorrow, but that's tomorrow. Today, we got to go. Signing off, I have been Mike Halford. He's been Jason Bruff. He's been A-Dog, and he's been Laddie. This has been the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.